Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. Those of you who have joined us throughout this Advent season and who have been a part of this series called The Sophisticated and Classy Art of Regifting, know that we've begun each week with an appointment. I left last week and had an agreement, an appointment to meet here on this stage this morning with Soraya Gupton Yanyas. So I'm wondering if Soraya, ah, here we go, right here. Come up. I'm glad to see you. Yes. Is it just you? Yes. Just you, okay. Yeah. No gift? Yes, we have a gift. You have a gift, okay. It's in, oh, yes. looky here, have mercy. This is a big gift. Yeah. Well, thank you. And who is this bringing? Is this Santa Claus? No, my dad. Oh, it's your dad. Okay. I wanted to get that straight. Very good. So you took something with you last week, didn't you? You know what? I'm yes. going to sit down here so we can be a little bit more on the same level. At least you can look down. You took a gift with you last week, didn't yes. you? Yes. What did you take with you? A Nintendo Switch. A Nintendo Switch. Did you take it home and open it? Yeah. Did you play with it? Yeah, my mom too. Your mom did too? Yeah. What about your dad? Did he play with no. it? He didn't play with it. Oh, boy. All right. <laughs> we'll have to have some words with him afterwards. Yeah. Did you have a fun time? Yes. You liked it, huh? Yes. All right. Very much. So what were you, th- oh, very much. What were you thinking throughout the week about it? <laughs> thinking throughout the week because my sisters really enjoyed seeing me and my mom play on the Nintendo. So I decided to keep it as a family game for wow. all of us to enjoy and play. All right. So you were just thinking of your sisters. I can understand that. <laughs> Absolutely. Very good. But you brought a gift, didn't yes. you? Yes. All right, because you remembered that the name of this series has to do with? Regifting. So tell me again. You told me last week, but remind me, what does regifting mean? Giving someone the gift that you don't need. That you don't need. Okay, I was waiting for that last word. <laughs> I like that word. You scared me there for a minute. So, all right, that's a very good definition. So how about if we invite someone else to join us up here then? Awesome. All right, awesome. Okay, so we're going to invite Amelia Cadavid. So where's Amelia Cadavid? Oh, here we go. Come right on up, Amelia. It's good to see you. Come right up. Nice to see you today. Do you know Soraya over here? Yes. You do. Okay. Is your mic on? I don't know. Oh, now it is. is. Now it is. All right. Very good. So you joined us here in this series, and you know a little bit about this series as well. Yes. Can you tell us what regifting is? (laughs) Um, well, regifting is basically giving a gift that you think others need or, you know, thinking about others in other ways that right. they don't think they can. Very do. good. That's very nice. And you know that Soraya made an agreement with us last week yes. to bring a gift. You, you knew that? Yeah. Okay. So were you happy about coming up here today? Yes, I was. Oh, very good. I'm, I'm happy you're here as well. <laughs> Now, this is the gift, so I'm going to kind of slide it over a little bit this it's way. Heavy. And, Soraya, you can come over here a little it's bit. Heavy, and, Amelia, I have no idea what's in here. 
Could be a pony as far as I know. <laughs> so why don't you come over and see if you can open it here? Um, okay. you, do it you will need... be heavy. She might need help carrying it out. She, okay, she might need help. All right, well, we're going to have Dad keeping an eye on that. Whoa, now what is this? Oh, my goodness. Wow. We need to turn this around so that our friends can see what Amelia is going to re-gift to her pastor. Wow. <laughs> that is beautiful, Amelia. Do you know what that is? A hoverboard. A hoverboard. What do you do with a hoverboard? Um, you hover on it. And you <laughs> <laughs> That's a good. I'm I glad you clarified that for me. What's that, Sarai? I got a hoverboard for Christmas, a metallic one. You did? Yeah. Not this one? Not that one. Oh, okay. All right. So are you happy with this? Yes. Well, this is your gift to take home. Wow. There's more stuff in there. There's more stuff in there. Okay. Well, let's, let's see what... Oh, look at that. Just what you'll need, a helmet. I even think I saw something else in there. Yeah, there's a lot What else more. did I see in there? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Look at that. And, oh, are those what I think they are? Yes, they're knee pads knee and pads elbow pads. And elbow pads. She needs wow. them so she doesn't Perfect. get hurt. I'm not getting hurt this week. No, you're not. <laughs> well, that's a wonderful re-gift. Thank you. Thank you so much, Soraya. Now, you're going to need some help, Amelia. Yeah. So yeah. I'm going to see if... If you have, do you have a dad over there, a brother, or somebody over there who can come and help? Here he comes, right here. All right, Mauricio, I'm going to hand this to you. <laughs> now this is <laughs> this is for uh, Amelia, just to be clear. <laughs> now, Amelia, before you go, I have to ask you a question. What was the name of this series again? Regifting. Regifting. All right, I was just checking. Thank you very much. Now, Soraya, yes. I have something for you. Oh, yeah. okay. I want to give you this. This is something that I think you'll enjoy. And I want to say thank you so much thank for you. being a part of this. Okay, thank you, and it? God bless you. So we've been wrestling with this concept of regifting. As you know, regifting is a cultural concept. Grew out of the popular culture. Had to do with giving away things that we really don't need, or want. But our suggestion has been, when it comes to the life of the Spirit, regifting is of the very best gifts we've ever received. Things like joy, abundance, forgiveness, peace, and maybe even rest. The year was 1927. The place was Hollywood, California. A man who has often been referred to as the father of American cinematography was making a movie that year, a silent movie entitled King of Kings. It was a movie that was dealing with the final weeks and the crucifixion in the life of Jesus Christ. The man's name was Cecil B. DeMille. Anyone who has studied or watched movies over the years recognizes that name. Well, DeMille had an issue he had to deal with. He had to cast someone in the role of Jesus. So after a search, he found his man, found exactly who he wanted to cast in the role of, of Jesus. He found a man named Warner, H.W. Warner. Warner was a British actor, an actor who could step into that role, and DeMille believed could do an exceptional job with it. But DeMille was concerned. 
He was concerned not just that he do an excellent job on screen, but he was concerned that Warner not do anything off screen to in any way damage the image and the impression he was trying to create about Jesus of Nazareth. And so DeMille had a pretty short leash, pretty tight leash, not only for Warner, but also for Sarah Cumming, who played Mary, the mother of Jesus. He did something that in our day and time would be virtually unheard of. He had both those actors, playing Jesus and playing Mary, he had them sign agreements in which they agreed they would not take any other film role for five years that in any way might damage their holy on-screen personas. And they agreed to it. They signed. But he was still concerned about Warner. And so DeMille said, in addition to that, this is what I need you to do, and this is what Warner agreed to do. You're going to stay separate from the other actors. You're going to ride by yourself to the set every day. You're going to ride there shrouded in black. You'll only be uncovered when you get there. You're to eat your meals alone. You are not to play cards. You are not to ride in a convertible. You're not to go to the beach. You are not, in other words, to do anything that might create the possibility that you would besmirch your holy on-screen persona. And Warner agreed to it. The question is, did all of that make him more Christ-like? Did he become more like Jesus? Well, the answer in a word is no. The truth is, it drove him to the point of utter distraction. The pressure built up within him, the load bore down upon him to the point where he couldn't take it. And many who write about it say it was during that time, during the filming of King of Kings, that Warner relapsed into his old alcoholism and would struggle with it for the remainder of his life. It was just too much. Too many expectations, too much of a load, too much of a burden. I can't act in all these ways that don't match what's going on in my inner life. He became a weary, burdened soul, all in trying to protect Jesus and to be like him. I suspect that Warner was not the only one who faced that. I suspect that there are people who came in today who are burdened and weighed down, struggling, overwhelmed. You wouldn't be alone. In fact, if we go all the way back to the time of Jesus, the world of Jesus, we would find people just like that in his day and time. I think over the years, I think over the years, I've not found maybe a better description of that than the one penned by the Old New Testament scholar, the old time scholar, William Barclay, as he tried to capture the essence of the expectations that were laid on religious people in the day and the time of Jesus. Listen to what Barclay writes. Jesus said of the scribes and Pharisees, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on the shoulders of others. In ancient Judaism, religion was a thing of endless rules. People lived their lives in a forest of regulations which dictated every action. They must listen forever to a voice which said, You shall not. Even the rabbis saw this. 
There's a kind of rueful parable put into the mouth of Korah which shows just how binding and constricting and burdensome and impossible the demands of the law could be. And then comes the parable. There was a poor widow in my neighborhood who had two daughters and a field. When she began to plow, Moses, that is the law of Moses, said, You must not plow with an ox and an ass together. When she began to sow, he said, You must not sow your field with mingled seed. When she began to reap and to make stacks of corn, he said, When you reap your harvest in your field and have forgotten a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it, and you shall not reap your field to its very border. She began to thresh, and he said, Give me the heave offering, the first and second tithe. She accepted the ordinance and gave them all to him. What did the poor woman then do? She sold her field and bought two sheep to clothe herself from their fleece and to have profit from their young. When they bore their young, Aaron, that is the demands of the priesthood, came and said, Give me the firstborn. So she accepted the decision and gave them to him. When the shearing time came and she sheared them, Aaron came and said, Give me the first of the fleece of the sheep. Then she thought, I can't stand against this man. I will slaughter the sheep and eat them. Then Aaron came and said, Give me the shoulder and the two cheeks and the stomach. Then she said, Even when I have killed them, I am not safe from you. Behold, they shall be devoted. That is given to God. Then Aaron said, In that case, they belong entirely to me. He took them and went away and left her weeping with her two daughters. Close quote. The story, says Barclay, is a parable of the continuous demands that the law made upon people in every action and activity of life. These demands were indeed a burden. Overwhelmed with expectation, large list of demands, requirements made of you, to the point where you literally just feel bent and bowed and burdened. I'm tired. Tired of this whole religious thing. I can't live with rest. Well, if you've ever felt that way, I want to take you to the words of Jesus in Matthew's Gospel, the 11th chapter. They were read just a few moments ago as our scripture reading by Crystal and Sammy who read these words that I invite you to hear again, and I invite you to hear them as a soothing balm for your soul. Listen to the comfort that they offer. Remember that Jesus is speaking to a crowd that is burdened down, that is weary and heavy laden. As he looks at them, this is what he says to them. Matthew 11, verse 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Tired people, weary people, religiously weary people. And Jesus speaks to them. His invitation can be captured in four words. If you read the passage, four words stand out as directives, as invitations that Jesus gives. Come, take, learn, 
and find. Four words. Let's unpack them. First one, come, he says. Come to me. This is an invitation to a person-centered religion. Person-centered. You see, religion can be based in and centered on any variety of things. It can be centered on behavior. That's the center. That's the core of it. That's what you have to have. That's what DeMille was asking of Warner. I want you to behave in all the right ways. You know that if that's the core essence of your religious experience, you end up burdened and weary. It can be centered on place. Certainly that was true in the day, in the time, in the world of Jesus. First the tabernacle and then the temple and later the synagogue. The place was extremely important. Place is important, but if that's the center of your religion, then once you're away from that place, your religious experience can be shed like an old coat. Religion can be centered in a variety of things. Jesus invites people to a person-centered faith. Come to me. What a balm of comfort and grace that is for someone who is burdened down. To know that it's just about developing communion between God and me. An old Jewish story tells the story of Mordecai, four-year-old little boy. Mordecai's parents were trying to be good parents. They wanted to teach him in the ways of the Torah, teach him the Hebrew language that was important to them. But little Mordecai was four. He wanted to do other things. He especially wanted to go out in the backyard and play on, on the swing that had been hung from the tree. He didn't want to study Torah. He didn't want to learn Hebrew. And so every day it was a battle, a battle of wills, a battle of who would hold out the longest, a battle to get him to learn and understand and repeat. Didn't want to do any of it. So mom and dad tried. They could, took him to the best doctor. What can we do? No answer. They tried other things. They tried exerting their will more forcefully, trying to get him to understand. Nothing seemed to work. And then they thought, we'll take him to the rabbi. Should have thought of that to begin with. And so they went to their local rabbi. And they said to the rabbi, he won't learn. He's not interested. We're trying to get him to do the right thing. We're try and the rabbi listened, and then he said... Just a moment. Mordecai was sitting right there. Just a moment. The rabbi walked over and picked up four-year-old Mordecai. Held him close. Pressed his ear up against his chest. Where Mordecai could hear and even feel the steady thump-thump, thump-thump of the rabbi's heart. And the rabbi stood for a long period, in quiet, Mordecai nestled up to his chest and rested. After a while, says the story, 
the rabbi handed Mordecai back to his mom and dad. And they went home. And according to the story, Mordecai learned, studied. And every chance, when it was okay, he would run out to play on the swing. Jesus says, come to me. All these other realities have their place in proper perspective. But for you, come to me. There's a word to describe that kind of person-centered religion, and the word is discipleship. Come. That's the first word. Second word, take. Take. Take my yoke upon you. Now, that's an odd thing to say, it seems to me, because here we're talking about people who desire rest. They're tired. And yet a yoke is an instrument of submission and service. And here to the people he's inviting into a person-centered religious experience, he's saying to them, but there's something you have to do. You have to take the yoke of submission and service upon you. Now, we're 2,000 years removed and a half a world away from the world of Jesus, so it's possible that many of us haven't given much thought to yokes and what they are and what they do. Our media team has found a couple of pictures of yokes. Uh, they'll show them to you now on the screen. A yoke is an instrument like this that is placed on the necks, often of oxen, sometimes of donkeys or cows, often of oxen to help in the plowing, at times to help pulling a cart. So there's a picture of a yoke. Or another more makeshift kind of yoke on the necks of the oxen. It's an instrument of service, of submission. We say, but if we're burdened down, if we're weary and tired with all the to-dos of religious life, then why would we want a yoke? Well, Jesus says, faith in me, walking with me, is not a do-nothing religion. We each have a role to play. But what's even more interesting is this. There's an old legend. Some of you have heard it. There's an old legend. I can't tell you for certain it's true, but I think, in essence, it's true. An old legend that said that Jesus, as a carpenter, made the very best yokes in Galilee. During that period of the silent years between his appearance at the temple and later his appearance in public ministry, those 18 years when we know almost nothing about what he did except that he worked as a carpenter, according to the legend, he had a carpenter shop and his specialization was yokes. And that he was reputed to make the best yokes in the entire land. Someone even came along and said that as is true in many shops where you have a sign above the front door, that there was a sign there that said, my yokes fit well. I don't know if it's true. But actually, I know it's true 
because the yoke of Jesus of service fits well. If it is what He has created you to do and what He has called you to do, it fits you. And do you know that there's a certain sense of restfulness in your soul when you are about the thing that you were created to do? If that's you, if you're a physician and you walk away from 12, 14 hours at work, and yet that day you have ministered to many, you have made a difference, you walk to your car, you are weary to the bone, and yet there is in you a restfulness. This is what I was created to do. If you're a teacher and you have had that classroom of 30 first graders, scared the life out of me, it would, and you have spent your day doing all the things that you must do as a first grade teacher, and the end of the day comes and you just say, Oh, I am exhausted. My feet hurt. My legs hurt. Everything hurts. I can't wait to get home. But as you drive, you think, Ah, thank you, God. This is what I was made to do. Do you know what that is? That's when the yoke of Jesus fits well. It's what he's called you to do. It's what he's created you to do. And when they come together, there is a restfulness of spirit that doesn't come otherwise. Because Jesus is walking with you, and he's created you to do that, and empowers you as you do it. Do you know, there's a word for that. And the word is discipleship. Come to me. Take my yoke upon you. Third, learn. Learn from me. Again, you say, well, how is that restful? How can I find rest of soul and rest of spirit when I'm in a learning mode? Well, be careful. Be careful to understand the right kind of learning. I love the way Dallas Willard, the late Dallas Willard, expressed it express this. He said, apprentice yourself to Jesus. Apprentice yourself to Jesus. Just go with Jesus. What he's doing, where he's going, be sure you're there and you're in on it because as you are, you will be learning. A writer, writer by the name of Claire de Graff, picked up on Willard's concept and writes these words. I invite you, writes de Graff, to apprentice yourself to Jesus, to become a student in the school of Jesus. Jesus himself, of course, will be your primary instructor. A few years ago, I spent a few weeks in Israel learning what it actually meant to study under a rabbi. Many rabbis in Jesus' day had disciples. In fact, that's how many of them made their living, as teachers. But their teaching involved more than information transfer. Rabbis typically walked out in front with their out front with their disciples, their followers trailing close behind. As the rabbi walked, he would not only teach but also stop and talk to people, buy things in the bazaar, conducting his normal everyday activities. His disciples were expected to closely watch everything the rabbi did because their goal was to become just like their rabbi. In fact, the success of a rabbi was often measured as much by the character of his disciples as it was the extent of their biblical knowledge. Jesus is our rabbi. 
To follow Jesus is to make the supreme purpose of our lives to become just like Him. How do you follow your rabbi to learn to live like Him? Start by reading the Gospels. And when you do, take your time, read carefully, observe him, mentally imagine yourself watching him up close and personal as he moves through the stories of the Gospels. When he speaks, assume that he's speaking to you rather than the crowd. Ask yourself, how would what he's telling me apply to my life today? So how are you learning? By following him around. Of course, you're doing it at a distance of both time and space, but you're doing it through faith, through the words of Scripture. And as you do that, you go where Jesus goes, you listen to what Jesus says, you watch what Jesus does, you observe how he interacts with people, and as that happens in front of you, you yourself are slowly being changed. To use his word in this passage, you are learning from him. Now from the, a commentary that is oriented toward Bible translators, listen to these words about this passage. The invitation of Jesus is, obey me. That is, take my yoke on you or take my task. Obey me and be my disciple. In fact, take my yoke and learn from me may, may be understood as the kind of construction in which the word and connects two thoughts that are equivalent. One can then translate the two commands as one. Learn what it means to be my disciple. So as you walk with him, you learn from him. You apprentice yourself to him. There's a word for that. And the word is discipleship. Come to me. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, and you will find, that's our fourth word, you will find rest for your souls. Rest. Isn't that what we all crave? Anita and I love Christmas. We love the Advent season. I will tell you, we are relieved it's over. It is so busy. I know your life is just the same because I talk with you and I hear the same thing from you that by the time you come to this point in time, you say, I've got to go back to work, just be able to rest. <laughs> I've got to get through this Christmas season just to be able to rest. Well, Jesus is talking about rest, but not just specifically a physical rest. He's talking about a deeper soul rest. You will find rest. So just how is that found? Well, think about it this way. One of the most challenging and difficult experiences we can have as human beings is when our inner experience and our outer world clash and collide, when they don't line up, when they don't match. You've had that happen. Some of you have had that happen this Christmas season. If someone else had been able to be there and look at the gathering, maybe it was just you and your spouse or you and your family, if somebody had been able to look beneath the surface of that relationship, they would have seen down there a burning cauldron of emotions 
anger and resentment and unresolved issues and lack of forgiveness and lack of grace. All of that's boiling down here. But it's Christmas. We're together as family. In-laws are here. Friends are here. And so up here, we're happy, festive, joyful. And yet, as you sit there, you can hear the carol playing in the background. Merry Christmas, darling. We're apart, that's true. And you're thinking, yeah, I wish we were. We're apart, that's true. But I can dream. And in my dreams, I'm Christmasing with you. If you have all that going on beneath the surface, and yet this is your outer world, and you're trying to smile and be happy, that's profoundly jarring heavy, burdensome. It's the same with religion. When we try to be religious outwardly without having deep inner spirituality, the two clash and collide. Look at Warner. Cecil B. DeMille, act in every way you can like Christ would, but keep the heart you have. And he went back to drinking, couldn't take it. Healthy religion and unhealthy religion maybe differ in this. Healthy religion has robust spirituality inside, robust connection with God in a person-centered faith, and then the religious expression of that is merely the outgrowth of what is going on deep inside. And in that, you will find rest. But if you don't have that, and you're trying to put it on out here, that's anguish. That's hard. That's heavy. So when Jesus says, come to me, person-centered, take my yoke, it'll fit you well, learn from me as we walk together, he knows what will happen. There will be born within you a vital and a vibrant spiritual connection with God, which is lived out in healthy and much more natural ways. He knows that in that you will find rest. There's a word for that, and the word is discipleship. Now, I think I know what you may be saying. You may be sitting there glancing down into your lap and you see the bulletin cover, nice cover, says the sophisticated and classy art of re-gifting. And you're thinking, re-gifting? I mean, I love the concept and I love the concept of discipleship, but Randy, what do the two have to do with each other? Well, thank you for asking. I thought you might ask. So I prepared an answer. And here's my answer. This time in Matthew's Gospel in the 11th chapter, this invitation we have just read is not the only time by any means that Jesus speaks of discipleship in Matthew's Gospel. There are other times, and maybe the best known of those times comes at the very end of the Gospel. It's within just a few words of ending Matthew's gospel. Jesus is making his last appearance before his disciples, before he ascends to his Father. And then he says something about 
discipleship. I'm going to paraphrase it. Use my words. Jesus says, this life that we've been living together, I want you now to go. To go. To go out there. To go to your neighborhood. To go to your dorm room. To go to your place of work. To go to the next city. To go all over the world. And I want you to make disciples. I want you to re-gift that discipleship. Re-gift it in every situation and every circumstance you can. Re-gift that person-centered faith, that concept of being able to serve in a way that fits. Re-gift what you've learned. Share the way in which you have found rest. And in that way, you will be re-gifting what I have called you into. And you will help them as they learn to walk with me as disciples. So if you're weary, if you're burdened, if you're weighed down with expectations, if the inner doesn't match the outer, if the yoke is chafing on you, if you don't know what you want to learn, then Jesus' command, Jesus' invitation is very simple. Come, take, learn, find. And then he says, once you have that, go. Regift it. Because when you regift it to them, they will find rest.